the scripture lesson for today is Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 of the New Living Translation. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thank you, Josie. Show me your ID, please. These days, we're pretty accustomed to showing our identification, to vote, to get through security lines, to apply for citizenship, driver's license, marriage license, well, almost anything. But we can pay a steep price if someone steals our identity, mistakes our identity, denies us access because of our identity, kidnaps us because of our identity. So you've heard stories about people who were switched at birth. Well, it happened to my sister. She was born before hospitals allowed rooming in. And so my mother had to wait for the staff to bring her newborn to her for feeding. Now, every mother knows that it doesn't take long after birth for mother and baby to bond as they gaze into each other's eyes and touch each other and sense each other's presence. One feeding time, the nurse brought a baby to my mom that she insisted was my sister. But mom knew to the core of her being that was not her baby. <laughs> the nurse insisted mom was mistaken until mom pulled off the baby blanket and revealed the ID band around her, the baby's ankle. It was indeed not the right baby for the right mom. Thank God for ID bracelets. Because that nurse was convinced that she was right. But my mom didn't need to check the identity bracelet, of course. She already knew her own baby daughter. Does anyone else know we are Christians? Do we even know our own identity? Jesus paints a clear picture of his followers in today's 
gospel reading from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, last week, we looked at Jesus' clear delineation of a Christian citizenship, that we belong to God's kingdom while we live in the world's kingdom. We learned that only one kingdom gets our first loyalty, that we live as ambassadors to a country not our own, to a country whose values and priorities are foreign to us. This is because as daughters and sons of God, we belong completely to our creator God. We owe God our worship, our lives, our everything. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus announces and declares the kingdom of God. And he invites his disciples to help advance the new kingdom and its manifesto. In verses 23 through 25, he then proceeds to illustrate how those in his kingdom will be saved and restored. As he heals disease, sickness, and demonic oppression. And now, in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, Jesus focuses on the surprising characteristics of kingdom people. They are different, and they admire different things than the rest of the world. We live in a different kingdom, God's kingdom, under God's authority. These distinctions identify us, but God's kingdom is not only different, but subversively different to the world's kingdom. Our text is often called the Beatitudes or the Blessings, and it's considered the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, which follows. The word blessing is the English translation of the Greek word makarios. And over the years, people have struggled with translating it. As one colleague described it, it's a slippery term. It can mean happy, fortunate, well-off, and more. We perhaps take for granted that we know what it means, but do we? Now, Lynn, you mentioned you had a great modern day paraphrase of the Beatitudes. Why don't you share it with us? To the average American, blessings have everything to do with circumstances and self-determination. Our Beatitudes might read something like this. Blessed are those who acquire land and wealth, for they don't need anyone, and more is always better. Blessed are those who move on after disappointment, failure, or grief, for they deny unpleasantness. Blessed are those who are worldly wise and know how to play the game, for they will get ahead. Blessed are those who are eternally optimistic and confident, for they put their best foot forward and no one notices their vulnerability. Blessed are the well-educated, for they will get the good jobs. Blessed are the well-connected, for their aspirations will not go unnoticed. Blessed are you when you know what you want and go after it with everything you've got, because God helps those who help themselves. No, Jesus never said anything like that. Well, this it's a, a modern paraphrase, you know, putting it in the words of today. Hmm. 
Well, thanks for that, Lynn. But Jesus made very countercultural statements in the blessings. They sounded crazy to the Jews of that day. So I don't think Jesus' values and priorities sound like our American culture. Remember, we Christians are like foreigners in our country. But thanks for your effort, Lynn. Let's go back to what blessed means or blessed in the Sermon on the Mount. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, even the English word blessing can have several meanings. Special favor, unique standing, permission, empowerment, endowment, and so on. So what did Jesus mean? I mean, blessing is weightier than happiness because happiness depends on circumstances. God's blessing does not depend on circumstances, but it is a gift to us of unconditional regard. Assurance that God will accompany us, give us power to persevere. God sees us as worthy simply because God created us and chooses to see us that way. It doesn't depend on what we did or might do. And who is Jesus talking to here? Well, as we see in verses one and two, he's addressing his disciples, a group of kingdom of God insiders. He sits down on a mountainside with them gathered around him. We might notice that the gospel writer Matthew wants his readers to be reminded of how God delivered the law through Moses on another mountain. Matthew makes a point of telling us that Jesus sits and teaches his disciples with authority. His readers might get the contrast because any Jew would know Moses stood and delivered his message on behalf of God to Israel. And while the law is a list of requirements, Jesus' almost poetic blessings are a description of reality of qualities and behaviors that characterize the children of God in increasing measure. Now, many people see here eight distinct kinds of people, people who fulfill different conditions that result in their blessing. It's as if there are humble people and people who hunger and thirst for justice and people who are merciful and people who are peacemakers and people who grieve, people who are persecuted, and so forth. But these godly qualities are identity markers that describe all Christians. They are for all Christians. They all feed into one another and are essential to kingdom living. It is God who develops all the characteristics in all Christians. It's important to note that Jesus uses the indicative tense, blessed are. It's a declaration, a simple fact or statement rather than a command or even a conditional statement. We might say it's description, not prescription. With the exception of the first and last blessing, 
each statement is followed up with a promise of what the blessing will look like. The results, they'll be comforted. They'll inherit the earth. They'll see God. They'll be called God's children. And the first and last blessing are the bookends that ground the blessings in the kingdom of God. These blessings are our identity markers. The first four blessings are the foundations for the next four. In verse three, we read, blessed are the poor. And the word here is very strong. It means destitute. Can you imagine what this sounded like to Jesus' disciples? To hear the very opposite of what they've believed their whole lives. They assume God's favor means material blessings. But Jesus says not necessarily. It's essential to start by realizing your poverty. That all you have and are comes from God. You see, whether we're physically poor or not, we are blessed when we depend on God and acknowledge that we are physically and spiritually poor without God. Now, this sounds strange in our culture as well. Americans scramble to acquire wealth. We love those rags to riches stories. As Lynn has said, we don't like being vulnerable or or needy, but that is our Christian identity. We're poor in our own resources and we need God to pull us up. Well, then in verse four, Jesus says that a Christian laments and the word means loud wailing. The people of Israel were no stranger to lament and often lamented in worship. They did, and we do lament when we see how we've failed ourselves and hurt others. Once we recognize that we need to be rescued by God's grace, that we can do nothing to attain God's approval, we're sorrowful. Like the first disciples, we realize we deserve none of God's blessing and favor, and we regret our sin and our lostness until we see our utter lack of godliness and admit it, we won't be open to God's transformation. Additionally, we grieve the church's failure to be Christ-like in the world, that we've been complacent or silent instead of confronting evil. We mourn over the our broken world systems and lives that have been lost or destroyed by the pandemic. This sets us up for the next kingdom value in verse five, that of humility, patience, and gentleness. Jesus' culture was not different than ours with its love of power violence, and Rome's military might. Jewish law called for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth retaliation in daily life. And politically, the Jews believed that the only salvation from their Roman domination lay in military conquest over their oppressors. 
Our culture is not so different. We are proud of our standing, our reputation, our status. If someone attacks us, our gut response is to pay them back, to retaliate. We trust in power and might and political clout to fix societal problems. Kingdom humility is the poise that our faith provides. We rest in our identity, our value in God's eyes. We don't have to prove anything or resort to retaliation. In verse six, Jesus continues and says that followers of his are hungry and thirsty for justice. The word refers to standing up for justice, not just wishful thinking. The Jews longed for justice for themselves. We who are privileged Christians understand God's heart for justice, and it breaks our hearts to see others exploited or lack access. We are stirred to work for justice. We advocate for those with no voice. It's not optional. It is part of our DNA to be just and bring about justice. And now Jesus transitions to the next four characteristics, which depend on the first four. Christ's followers are known for being merciful and kind for their acts of mercy in verse seven. Privileged Western Christians might need this reminder more than most early Christians because we realize our debt of love to Jesus because we've received mercy, kindness, and grace from God's hand. Because of this, we can identify with those who suffer and are poor. Christians stand on level ground with all. We're all spiritually poor and we all need to repent of our sin. And we're all equally blessed by Jesus' cleansing and restoration. This allows us to receive God's mercy and be merciful in turn. The next blessing is God's kingdom people are pure in heart. We read in verse eight. Now this is not a contrast to being impure, but it means to be focused, undiluted with single-minded devotion to God. Jesus contrasts this undiluted devotion with the burdensome religious rituals of his day. Things that were meant to impress God. Jesus calls his followers to simple, true-hearted righteousness. As Christians today, we also submit our wills and hearts to God's kingdom priorities without attempting to mix in our cultural values and priorities. If we hunger and thirst for justice, we will learn to know what God considers the most important thing and focus our passion and energy there. Next blessing is that kingdom of God citizens work for peace. We read that in verse nine. Some of Jesus' disciples were revolutionaries. 
Jesus calls them as God's adopted children who are gentle and humble, never to use violence to demand their way. We are nonviolent in our advocacy. Instead of using power politics, we don't seek for power in the world or with one another in the church. We serve others, even our enemies. We desire reconciliation just like Jesus who humbled himself to bring about our reconciliation with God and restoration. And finally, Christians shouldn't be surprised at opposition or persecution for doing what is right. The rest of the verses there up to verse 12 from 10 to 12 are more explanation of what it looks like to be persecuted. Early Christians met opposition from the world around them. They were always in the minority. It's inevitable to clash with people who don't share our values and priorities. Others may even attack us physically or attempt to destroy our reputations. We're not immune from evil and its effects. We take confidence that God sees us, regards us lovingly, and his overall purpose is good, good for us in God's world. Although kind, gentle, merciful, and humble, we show our identification with Christ, even when it's unpopular. And this is subversive teaching. Thomas Jefferson certainly wouldn't agree with Jesus when Jesus says that life is not about pursuing happiness. But when we live life with passionate love of God and walk single-mindedly with Jesus, we will be deeply contented and joyful. The world will not ask, where is God? When people are mourning and hungry and treated brutally by the police and denied mercy in courtrooms, because we, the church, are showing our identity as God's merciful, justice-loving, humble, peaceful, single-minded children. Our divided, suffering world today doesn't need a human savior, a political solution. They need us, citizens of God's kingdom, to show our identity. Don't be a secret agent, a stealth disciple of Jesus, a ninja Christian. Share the good news of the kingdom. That the humble, grieving, poor in spirit are honored in God's economy. Let them see that God loves justice. Let them see that God shows up where they least expect God to be, with the poor rather than the rich. Those who are beaten down by life and mourning rather than celebrating. The humble and the peacemakers rather than the famous and victorious. Jesus' world didn't look for God there and neither does our world. And if God shows up here, blessing the vulnerable and destitute, then God 
is everywhere, showering you with blessing, blessed grace apart from anything you've done, earned, or deserve. Jesus' blessings show us that in his reality, we don't have to explain everything, fix everything, or have power over others. Be encouraged and reassured that God is at work in you to develop you into kingdom people. Be who you are, church. God blesses you so that you are a blessing in and to the world. Wear your identification conf confidently. Amen. As we spend our time <clears throat> in reflection on God's word, I invite you to look at the ways that God has blessed you as God's children and open yourself to God's transforming work to develop even more of those things in your lives.